Hello and welcome. My name's Dr Joanna Bucknell and you are listening to episode 35 of Talking About Immersive Theatre or Tate, T-A-I-T for short. In this episode, I'm really excited because I actually managed to go to the place where people make work (laughs) and record the episode there rather than recording on Zoom, which was really rather wonderful. So in this episode, I talked to Swamp Motel, so Ollie Jones and Sadie Spencer behind the scenes at their current immersive piece of work called St Jude, which is um, just outside of St James's Park tube station. Um, So without any further ado, I'm going to let you get at the episode. So I am here in London uh, with Swamp Motel in their incredible venue for St Jude, which is really, really exciting. I'm not going to give anything away, though. So if you're listening, you're just going to have to come down and do the show. Um, So I am here with Ollie Jones, who is a co-founder. And I'm here with Sadie Spencer, who is one of the creative leads at Swamp Motel. So hello, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. (laughs) And thank you so much for hosting me. Um, I should probably say to people listening, I've just done the experience, and it was really awesome. But I'm not going to tell you anything other than that, other than you should come. Yeah, come along. (laughs) Basically, come and have an amazing time. Yeah, it's better to do it than to hear about it. Yeah, exactly. And also, secrets, spoilers. Mm. Don't want to do that. That's really not. That's not a good thing to do. Okay, so let's start with um, you, Sadie. How did you? You have a background in theatre, don't you? So how did you kind of come to immersive theatre? What was your sort of journey? Uh, so I trained as a director after being at uni. Did that on a course at Birkbeck in London, and then spent best part of ten years being a freelance director. So doing a bit of assistant directing, a bit of putting on my own work on the fringe, some writing, quite a sort of mixture of stuff. And through sort of a friend of a friend, (laughs) did a little freelance job for Swamp early days, I think. Well, not that early days. You'd been going maybe Um, two years? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that? It's pre-pandemic. Yeah. It's probably a year. Yeah. Yeah. And then we sort of got back in touch during the pandemic because they were doing some quite exciting stuff. Yes. Which I'll maybe let yeah, Ollie talk more about. Come to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so really that was, working with Swamp was my first immersive oh, theatre wow. directly, I'd say, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, now been here two years. <laughs> <laughs> so you've just been sucked in. That's sucked it. in. You're done. Immersed. That's such a, a common story, actually. And one of the things that we're discovering through the research that we've been doing is that um, it's nearly always a friend of a friend or someone who knows someone is how people sort of seem to get brought into the sector, which I think is really interesting. But also something I think we need to look at for sort of future sustainability. Because it's really great to help with mates out, but we're not always all going to be here. And so I think... Mm. Yeah, ours, ours actually wasn't a very jammy connection. It was from handing out popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> we, so it wasn't yeah. really a friend of a friend, but well, we, I think of... we both ended up working there through mutual friends yeah. that we now share, and were mutual at the time. But yeah, Sadie and I actually originally met on a doomed, pointless, and very long <laughs> trip to Blackpool <laughs> to hand out popcorn. <laughs> to hand out popcorn to an event that we arrived too late to attend. <laughs> oh no. So it's kind of weirdly serendipitous. Though. Yeah, so we just spent kind of a nine-hour long day taking a train to Blackpool, 
not doing an event in Blackpool and then taking the long train back from oh, Blackpool. No. Did you at least get some popcorn? Oh yeah, yeah. Someone had, someone had to eat all the boxes that we took. <laughs> and how about you, Ollie? Sort of, what's your background? And I know that you had Kill the Beast, didn't you? As yes. A theater company before Swamp mm-hmm. Hotel. So can you talk us through that kind of? Yeah. So journey? I studied theater studies at Warwick along with Clem, who yeah. is my co-founder, mm-hmm. and together. Uh, with three others, we formed Kill the Beast on coming out of university, which is like a comedy theatre company. Um, the other three are actually tonight opening their debut musical on the West End. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Congratulations to them. Yeah. I take a large share of the credit. I think I think they'll agree. Um, so we, we work together as a five and still do, um, but we do more screen stuff now um, for years. And uh, we had to like freelance jobs alongside that and ended up working at Punch Drunk. I did, and Clem also did separately, again, through a mutual friend. Um, And working there, learning about immersive theatre, and then in Edinburgh one year, we were asked to write a script for a corporate immersive event, Mm -hmm. for which there was a fee, which was kind of... that's kind of nice. Yeah, (laughs) a a rarity. Um, And... We found that really interesting and so Clem and I then realised that we had this skill set that was useful for theatre making and also for these corporate events which are a key part of how Swamp Motel stays afloat. Yes, that's um, that, Yeah, and so we, we started working, uh, looking for corporate jobs and eventually got one mm-hmm. and that paid us enough money to found a business and that pattern continued into the pandemic where everything changed. Yes, yes, very much so. And we will definitely talk about that. And again, this is quite a, a common story, is that sort of using corporate gigs to be able to pay to create artistic work and keep those other things going while you can then network mm, like this. Yeah. So um, it's interesting because uh, I live near Coventry. Yes. So did you go to Warwick when it was... Because it wasn't always in Coventry, was it, Warwick University? Um, it is in Canley. I think is the name yeah, of the town it's yeah. in. Yeah. But so I lived in Leamington. Oh, nice. Yeah. Leamington's yeah. nice. Went to Coventry for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Coventry literally yesterday, yeah. the old Ikea building, mm. which they've turned into kind of like eco. Oh, that's cool. And they want it to become an immersive venue. Mm-hmm. They've got obviously cool. thousands and thousands of square feet and don't really quite know what to do. Yeah. With it. But it's right in the heart of Cov. So. Yeah. No, we weren't doing anything that highbrow in Coventry. We were going to Lava Ignite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like a town of its own, actually, isn't Mm. it? Warwick Campus is absolutely massive. Yeah, and it's got a really, really good theatre scene. And I think I got most, my uni experience delivered the most for me from the extracurricular stuff, I think. Ah, okay. As good as the course was, I think, like, considering where my life is now, Mm -hmm. it's more thanks to the extracurricular stuff. And, and I hear that a lot from our students mm. as well. They do loads of extracurricular, and that's often what... I, w- I would concur. Yeah. yeah? I didn't even study uh, drama, but all the extracurricular stuff meant that mm. so many of my friends... And you meet so many good well, people. and yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so many people who have come into the scene, especially in traditional theatre, don't actually come through that route of theatre mm. studies. It's that extracurricular work that they do and the unit some of the unis have got incredible extracurricular clubs which I think is really great so how did Kill the Beast become kind of Swamp Motel well um was it through that sort of corporate yeah it was through that corporate thing because at the time the 
the girls from Kill the Beast were living in Manchester, um, and Clem and I were just like, oh, we were together, we're together all the time anyway. So we were like, we'll, we'll try and find some work, so it'd be good to earn some money. Um, and we eventually did, and we our first job was opening a restaurant for Dishoom, which is oh. an Indian restaurant group. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have one in Birmingham now. Oh, probably. Yeah, just recently opened. It's good. Good London's good for food. Actually. Yeah, it's really good for food. It's really amazing, and they're all their restaurants are designed around a story that they start with. They kind of like they take the building and then write a story to suit it. And this particular one was in an art, this like old Art Deco building in Kensington. And so they wrote a story that was all about 1940s Bombay because at that time there was this huge jazz movement in in Bombay and um, that kind of went hand in hand with a lot of Art Deco architecture. And so we were kind of brought in to do this three week long immersive launch, oh, wow. uh, immersive dining show, I suppose uh-huh. you could call it which was in this like beautifully designed Art Deco building. And we kind of like organised a story to happen. And there were fights and shootings and a live band and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And that was how how we got started. Um, And then we got another job off the back of that. And we're keeping our heads above water for a couple of years, doing these small jobs. Um, And then... Should we talk about the pandemic now? I keep coming back to yeah, that. Yeah, let's let's go into it. Kind of because the pandemic was a crunch point. Was a crunch point, wasn't yeah. it? And really changed the way you, you function yeah. as a company. Yeah, it was really pivotal. So we, like everyone else, had all our work cancelled in around March and didn't really know what to do. Um and we'd always like we've always wanted to mount our own independent show. And the idea was always we'll do this corporate work and eventually we'll have enough money to fund something. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it happened, we didn't really need that much money because the pandemic closed all the live opportunities. Yeah. And we thought, well, maybe we can build something that happens online, which will feel like an immersive experience, and we can send it to clients and say, oh, look, try this thing. It'll feel like a show, but you don't have to leave your house, which is great because you're not allowed. Yes, um, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, and so we, we made this kind of like missing person mystery, which turns into a conspiracy thriller. And that's Islander. Yes, Islander yeah. is the trilogy. The first chapter was Plymouth Point. Okay. Yeah, which we kind of made in about three and a half weeks. Wow. And launched in start of May twenty twenty. Uh-huh. Um, so we're quite hot off the. Yeah, blocks with I was going to say that that's really quick. Mm. Um, did you use existing platforms, or did you develop something to be able? To uh, we we have game? developed stuff since, but initially it was just Squarespace mm-hmm. and Zoom and wow. stuff that already existed uh-huh. but it was only meant to run for two weeks for a few clients and a few friends mm-hmm. um but we more um not nepotism what's nepotism when it's friends is that still nepotism it probably is yeah. more nepotism <laughs> comes into play a friend of ours was on furlough who worked um worked at uh, the theatre in a theatre um, in the press division and so she got in touch with some of her contacts and the Guardian ended up reviewing it and giving it four stars and then yeah. the tickets started flying wow. and then that meant we could market it and then mm-hmm. it sold more and eventually um, we had enough money to hire some people and then make a second one mm-hmm. and then make a third one and um, 
And it's, did they have live elements or were they kind of, did they exist? No, it was in, all it was remote. All remote. All remote and all pre-recorded. Wow. But it felt very live. Yes. And it was, it's hilarious thinking about it now because Zoom was really new and most people didn't yeah, most really. People had no idea. Yeah, they had no idea how to do it. And the first character you meet is this woman called Kath and she's pre-recorded. Okay. But the, the gimmick was kind of like, she could hear you, but you weren't coming through to her. So she right. was like, I can't, I can't hear you, but let me just tell you what, what oh, I need to okay. tell you. And the woman performed it amazingly. It was like very, very realistic. That's great. But at the time, you just completely bought it. And I think lots of people did think it was live. That's perfect. And yeah, the internet kind of provided this perfect platform for that mm-hmm. level of illusion. Mm-hmm. And, and like taught us a lot about automation and using tech and kind of faking it in order yes, to, yeah. to make experiences that feel a lot bigger than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the key, isn't it? That's one of the, the magics and the, the real art there is to make that world feel much bigger if audiences push at it yeah. than it actually is. Yeah. I think especially for any new makers who are listening, you sort of see Punch Drunk and you think, oh, Christ, I don't have six million quid or whatever. Yeah. How do I do something like that? But actually, I think your work manages to create more expansive worlds than that but with clever devices so that when you push at things Mm. the world feels complete and whole and big but actually the construction of that isn't necessarily and you don't have to have these huge expansive sets and did you think so did, did that kind of approach begin online then using that Platform. Yeah, definitely. And and it worked kind of three times over. And then the next live thing we did was the drop, which was which was kind of a necessity because we were a, a live performance company who had redefined ourselves as a digital company. Yeah. And then when the lockdown lifted, we were much more like famous in quotation marks, yes, but then had to absolutely. redefine ourselves as what we were originally. So we're mm-hmm. like, right, we have to do a live show. And the drop was... Um, well, why don't you talk about the drop? Because I've been talking for ages. <laughs> <laughs> the drop um, was still constrained a little bit by lockdown rules, which mm. was one of the things that I suppose defined it because there was the rule of six still in play. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and that wasn't what led our thinking, but it it did certainly inform it because... We thought it had to be an experience that you could do in a group of six and yeah. feel quite self-contained mm-hmm. and go through like that. And the idea we'd arrived on was that people would turn up and be told to deliver a briefcase to someone upstairs via an elevator. But when they got in the elevator, it was going to break down. Okay. And that was... That was kind of the starting yeah. point. Uh, we thought it was quite exciting to have it. It was going to break down and then they were going to find themselves in the real world dealing with Swap Motel mm-hmm. and like the, the facade would drop. And that was that was like another good example of boundary blurring between what's real and what's not. Yes. It was a very realistic showstop. Yes. Wasn't it? We, yeah. we, in fact, we were all in it. I mean, I was in it. You were in it, yeah. I came out and sort of said... I, hi, I'm from Swamp Motel, which I am. <laughs> but that was all pre-recorded. Um, oh. Am I allowed to give these spoilers? Yeah, I think so. I think it's in the past. Yeah, We're okay. Yeah. But the the lift broke down and you essentially saw some CCTV, which was exactly what you'd seen going in. 
so but it again all been pre-recorded so it felt very live it yeah. felt like it was members of the swamp team uh but you were being duped by us uh and then had to break <laughs> out of the lift and sort of emerged in a vault and then could go through that into a shop and then you were sort of taken out onto the streets of london um and eventually to a hotel yeah and what was quite fun about it was we we sold it as a lift escape room in a lift so everything from the yeah the fun event which we won't mention because it's fun um (laughs) onwards to like breaking out the lift the shop the streets of london the people you meet there Mm -hmm. the hotel like no one expected to really leave the lift yeah yeah Yeah. so i think that was quite quite a fun idea and how many people so you had six and did you do sort of repeated shows so we had three lifts and each one could take six people at staggered entry time so i think they started every 15 minutes okay and we could just about stage manage it yeah because they all they all fit into (laughs) the same area okay so three lifts all fit into one shop yeah and yeah, and so at any, any one time we could have like one, two, three, four, five, six or seven groups in rotation, but okay. it was close, yeah. And how did you, because <laughs> um, I was really keen on sort of the mechanics of how you manage that, so like lay on fonts with their ridiculous carousel, which is extraordinary, have like a big spreadsheet where they sort mm. of mock, did you have to do that as well then, sort of map out? Yes, yeah, we do, we have spreadsheets and, and, and stuff like that. But again, a lot of, it's another place where automation comes in. Yes. Um, which can make things seem more lifelike and also mm. help do our job for us. An example would be Sadie, the character, who's your kind of like guide and helper through the show, is all pre-recorded. And, and as we were running through rehearsals and tests, we were seeing problems that people would come up against and would need help on. Okay. So we'd record Sadie giving them a prompt so at the touch of a button, more or less, when people were struggling with a puzzle, the stage manager could hit a cue and over the speaker, you'd hear Sadie saying, oh, hey, guys, maybe you should check in that shoe <laughs> to, to move them along to the next bit. Oh, great. <clears throat> so it was, all, it was all run by a team of three, mm-hmm. one which was the live performer out in the streets mm-hmm. and then the stage manager and then a third body um, resetting. Props. Wow. Okay. So that's quite light, actually. Yeah, really light. That and Saint Jude is two people. Through. I was going to yeah. say that felt light as mm. well in terms of it being managed, which must keep the costs, sort of like the, the daily running costs down. I yeah. Guess, yeah. The show. Keeps it lower, definitely. And how do you? So audience are kind of always are so central to the work, and how do you sort of rehearse it? How do you? How do you manage that absence in your process? So how do you how do you test? Who do you put through? What points do you test mm. the work? Do you test it when it's quite With, loose or once you've got it quite formed? Mm. It's <laughs> tricky, yeah. Go on. Yeah, it's... Um, I always think of it as kind of... Compa- we call them previews sometimes. So we do a testing period and then we'll go into previews. Yeah. But it's so unlike in traditional theatre where you're essentially in previews, you're kind of getting feedback off the audience, which will inform stuff. Yeah. But they aren't essential. No. And I'd say the number of times that we've thought, we've kind of thought through every possible reaction that we Uh might get Uh and just been bamboozled by what audiences have Mm. done um, is pretty 
<laughs> pretty extraordinary. You basically can't, uh, you you can't make the show without a long testing period. Yes. Yeah, and it's generally traumatizing because it's always quite. It has to be quite finished before you put people through yes. to get a realistic response from them. Of course. And then they expose fundamental problems. Yes. <laughs> which means you have to like. I mean, with this, three days before it opened, we threw the entire second half in the bin and redid it because it was just like not working oh, no. at all. But you don't know that. Until you put people through yeah. it. Yeah. You don't know that until you've more or less finished it and put people through it. And you can't use people more than once either, can you? Yeah. So no. You call on like friends, family, everyone in mm. that first instance. But then it becomes difficult because they need to be virgin to it to test it yes. well. Yeah. And they need to be in like exactly the right mindset. They need to they need yes. to behave in the way that they behave in the real thing. Yes. Not behaving in the way where they've come along to do you a favour, to make you feel better, make you feel like it's really good it's and it's great. all going it's great. great. Yeah. yeah, it needs to be really authentic. I think something we've probably got better at, it's fair to say, is um, thinking about like the setup that you give an audience and yes. setting those expectations. Yeah. That's... Mm, quite built into like our scripting is mm-hmm. what communications will they get beforehand how will they first come across the experience because it's quite easy for us to be making it and then when we test it people arrive and we sort of go mm, it'll kind of be like this 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 off you go mm-hmm. and actually that hasn't probably put them in the right frame of mind to mm. begin with no um and and we also we really one thing that we did in Plymouth Point that we now hang our hat on a lot is making an experience that feels like it's happening in your real life. Yeah. Right, so you've just come to St. Jude. You don't have to take on a character. It's no. you. You've been invited. It's your trial shift. Yes. In the drop, it was you. You've come to the escape room that goes wrong. The problem with that is we kind of like rule out so many helpful tools to help guide the audience. The briefing you sat through in St. Jude, we've been over so many times because there are so many little behaviours we need to kind of coach you to do before you go in and use the actual consoles. Um, And that's another thing that is always extremely difficult and that I regret hugely in production week. (laughs) (laughs) But I think but I think does make it really good because I think I think like when you talk about something being immersive, it takes me out of it quite a lot when I'm told to be someone else. Yes. Right. We think we think the most immersive way for something to be immersive is to feel real and to feel personal and to feel like it's happening to you. Yes. Yeah. And also it takes away some anxiety because mm-hmm. I know lots, like my partner actually doesn't like, he's like, he's an introvert. Social things scare him. Mm. And so he always gets a bit nervous about going to immersive because he's like, oh, I don't want to be singled out. I don't want to play. Yeah. I don't, I don't need a really I don't want honest. pressure. Yeah. And, um, so he finds that challenging. So when it's much more embedded in, well, you're you, but within this performative frame or context, mm-hmm. that's much easier to kind of jump into. Because like, okay, well, I can just be me and that's okay. And um, I thought the, and again, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but that induction in world mm. was also really, really slick. And I'm assuming it took you quite a while to get to those really clear because you don't want it to be too long either or boring or yeah. and it wasn't those things it was really engaging and felt like it's something you would get if you were volunteering mm. or, or being inducted into a space at work so does that bit take a long time getting the exact kind of wording and phrasing to stimulate the behaviors that you're looking for yes <laughs> <laughs> um it's amazing how one phrase can throw the whole thing off yeah. yes like 
yeah. I can't, I'm trying to think of examples. Mm, I can kind of think of some examples, but they're slightly spoilery. Yeah. But just... It's like you're... Because you're, you're, you're not... We're, yeah. we're trying to set their objective yes. very, very subtly. And the thing is, audiences are really good at actually trying to get on board. Mm. And yes. so they're sort of listening really carefully. And if you accidentally give them something that makes them think, ah... They'll hang on to it. They, yeah. That's what yeah. they want me to do. They really pursue that route and um the, the census thing for example in yeah. in the briefing very useful tool but again that's still not perfect because some people lean on that but we don't really want them to lean on it and yes. you know if you do it the wrong part it doesn't work with the ai system uh-huh. um so it's all those balances but i think it's pretty much there but yeah all, all the stuff you get told in that like that acronym we spent ages on and it's changed about a million times. It's like, right, what can we tell them that makes them do exactly the right thing but doesn't feel like they're being told to do exactly the the right thing? thing. And then at the same time you get, we have had all the guidebooks printed with that in Mm. so that it becomes a bit harder to take it out. So it's a fine balancing act of when when you fix things. Mm -hmm. And so far with the, the, the run, have audiences responded in ways mostly that you would hope they would yes the system that we use you've got to kind of anticipate the answers they're going to say so like the the script for St Jude is written on this huge web of dialogue boxes Mm -hmm. and you'll the you'll hear a prompt or a discussion point and you can give an answer and the answer you give will lead on to one of several other discussion points Uh and then we'll run it and we'll do a test and people will come up with a million responses that you hadn't thought of, which means there's no response to what they've come up with. And so you've got to go back and then you've got to build in everything that they've said that night. So, so during the previews, we were basically sitting in the back room following along being like, that's new, put that in, that's new, put that in, put a response to that, put a response to that. Oh wow. So all that content, all of those sort of decision trees that sit behind Mm the system you have to write all the content yes yes it's not I think wow. it's been a bit of a, a blessing and a curse um <laughs> chat gpt coming out because uh, it's been great that there's been such a sort of spotlight on ai and what it can do and it feels mm-hmm. like yeah a very sort of prescient moment but at the same time i think people's expectations have now raised really high yeah <laughs> yeah and we've been building on a very different kind of software which is very brilliant at what it does but yeah. it's not doing the same thing yeah it's not built to say like could you explain to me quantum physics mm-hmm. in german please which chat, <laughs> which chat gpd can do on cue yes yeah. yes exactly but we are talking to charisma who built the ai platform next week about ways to build chat gpt into it which oh, i think will wow. be really interesting yeah um because that might mean that you can then potentially talk about a lot more stuff without yeah. us having to think of all of it i was gonna say yeah. open it all up and there's always outliers isn't there and i i found this as well is every time yeah you think you've covered like every base or just from a, a really simple instruction i find sometimes can just not land in ways and you're like how how did you read that instruction in that way and i'm baffled Mm. you will also i think it's kind of fair to say you'll always get people coming to immersive experiences who want to test it yeah (laughs) and want to test its boundaries and it's kind of how you deal with them yes whilst appreciating that they're enjoying it and want 
yes. want to be there and that they're having fun doing that, yeah, and just they're, they're kind of not going to get the most <laughs> out of it. Um, yeah, because they're pushing at the game, aren't they? They're leaning mm. on the game to see how much it will bend. Yeah. Rather than sort of inhabiting <laughs> yeah. the game. <laughs> thinking, of it as, thinking of it as a game, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm. And like just building that world that says <clears throat> there are rules you have to obey here. Yes. Like the dream, the dream would be that doesn't exist and you can literally do anything. Yes. But that's not the case but yet. It's facilitating. <laughs> yes. It, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing. The tech isn't kind of there yet. Although just today, I saw um, on the BBC that Elon Musk has asked people to yeah. stop and slow down to yeah. think about the. I'm like, if Elon Musk is asking us to think about the ethics of it, it makes me wonder what he's come across that's going mm. on in the background. Yeah, like, yeah it's pretty asked. spooky. That whole isn't tech it? Illuminati is, <laughs> yeah. is a creepy thing to think about. Yeah, what they know that we don't. But it's very timely. And have you found. So do you find that you get theatre audiences, gaming audiences, specifically immersive theatre audiences, but the, the topic is very timely, isn't it, mm. in terms of AI and engaging in that way? So what kind of... I'm not sure. I think it's I probably mainly theatre. I think, yeah, because of our sort of histories in theatre, I'd say there's a yeah. healthy proportion of theatre people. Mm-hmm. But I do get the impression it's quite a wide audience base. Mm. Mm. There's definitely something in it for gamers. Like yeah, the, for sure. the tech is really like fun and interactive yes. and it's like it's quite video gamey in its nature um it's odd because on on other shows we've kind of got more of a impression of what the group is like because it's more puzzly like group work and yes. puzzly yeah there's a bit more chat and so sometimes you can mm-hmm. pick up on like a mood and why they're there but this is very Which insular it's gonna say it's yeah and they're almost, just talking to the character like actually apart from those sort of briefing moments yeah Mm. but again that's really nice because then when you do get to go and be by yourself it feels very intimate yeah and also kind of risky and and i like that and i thought there was something really exciting about that but even just sat waiting before we came up um the demographic demographic of the people sat in the room was actually really broad it was yeah really broad you've got really quite young people there and i heard someone say that they were a student at central Mm. so and then right up to sort of people who looked like they were uh, sort of retirement age. Mm. So that's quite unusual. And I think immersive theatre overall, what immersive experience, draws a much broader demographic than traditional theatre yeah. does. Mm. Which I think Definitely. is good. Yes, yeah, I completely agree. We really want everything to be entertaining, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, more than it needs to, like, prove a point or... Yes. I don't know. We, we try new stuff, not really through, I guess, through design necessarily, but mainly because we think, oh, that'll be fun rather than let's explore that. Yes. Um, yeah, and I think entertainment then just opens up way more doors. And so is that kind of the angle that you come at it from then? Because obviously this is quite a topical subject. It's mm. like massively involved in terms of ethics and all of that sort of thing. But it doesn't, even though it really does raise loads of ethical questions, and it is a bit of a dilemma. Again, I don't want to give spoilers, yeah. but it is about ethics. Mm. But it's fun as well. And doesn't just feel like it's about ethics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually remember, I don't know whether you remember this, Ollie. We haven't <laughs> reflected on this before. But I remember on that uh, train back from Blackpool mm. after handing out popcorn, uh, I showed you an article that was written by... Um, Anthony, uh, playwright, wrote Penetrator. You're the theatre nerd. Uh, the name's going to come back to me. 
But the it was a Guardian article from ages ago called "Don't Be Boring." Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And it was him railing against people trying to. I do remember this? We were standing. <laughs> there weren't enough seats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, railing against people trying to sort of be a bit too cerebral in theatre and a bit kind of yes. like I'm going to explore a theme in quite an academic or inaccessible thoughtful it makes way. It really inaccessible. And he was basically arguing for just entertain people. Make it fun and people will come. I do remember that. And I also remember texting Clem saying, like, I've just worked with this girl who I think you'd really get on with. She seems like the right kind of person. (laughs) And look at us now. Anthony Nielsen. Anthony Nielsen. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so one of the things that people um, are saying about Swan Motel is that you've really successfully managed to kind of be multi-channel. And I think that's because of, you know, shifting so quickly to operating digitally and now shifting back as well to being kind of in person. Mm -hmm. And of course you have corporate work, but you do other work as well. So can you talk to me a little bit about that sort of the multifaceted channels that make up sort of Swamp Motel's work? Yes. So (laughs) we have, we do live stuff and we do digital stuff and we do corporate stuff. Mm -hmm. um, All for reasons that I guess we've been over. And then we've also done some cool experimental films Mm-hmm. recently um we did a film called the altar mm-hmm. which tells the story of um the morning after and the night before a mysterious event but both the films are laid on top of each other and they match shot for shot second to second and as you watch it you can click your mouse and it will flip narrative and so you kind of patch together oh. what happened through uh-huh. these two different storylines um and yeah it's not probably like the wisest business model to diversify so much, but we do think that it gives us like an edge and an interest. And the way the company works is that our independent projects are A, nourishing for mm-hmm. our creative roots, yeah. um, B, um, a really useful tool to like spread the word about us. Like we can invite potential clients, this like cool stuff for them to, Uh them to enjoy and then hopefully have a meeting with them afterwards. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And then also I think we're just like, we're just quite into trying out new toys. Yeah. You know, that film came about because Leo, who's our creative technologist who kind of like makes all the amazingly cool stuff you just, you just played with. He, he just said like, Oh, I found this thing, which means we can flip these, Mm -hmm. these films together. And it was just off the back of that. We thought that'd be a fun thing to do. And we actually spoke to the Lowry Theatre, who me and Clem had worked with a lot um, as Kill the Beast, and they gave us some funding towards that. And yeah, I think we just thought that'll be an interesting thing to do. And we've now got this like portable product off the back of it. I think there's so much more interesting as well being able to, because a lot of the interactive films or Mm. TV, like Bandersnatch and that kind of thing, it's very much, you can see the decision trees. Mm sort of built in but when you can just flip in and out of story like that yeah i think there's i know there's something uh that's a bit like you said more nourishing about being able to get yeah inside that and dig around and find it rather than going i've made this decision which is going to take me here and take me here yeah it is a nice investigative experience yes as you try and figure out like right so they were talking about that but in the morning that person's not there i better watch the other one to see the rest Uh of that conversation (laughs) You know, like it's like a detective, yeah, sort yeah. of like uh, which it feels gamified mm. again in a way that I think just choosing 
pathways is not quite so much, I yeah. think, in terms of... Yeah, because I, I find those pick this or pick that just a little bit boring, actually. I think one, one of the things it does is disrupts the pace, sort of just yes, as you're getting to, yeah. I don't know, something exciting. You often have to stall, mm. uh, which you don't have to do with the altar, which was definitely yes. a cool part of it. That's such a good point, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't disrupt, because the pa- you set the pace as the viewer then as to how you want to move around whereas the more sort of decision tree structures it's it is fixed for you so you have to kind of and it's also a bit jarring when like a moment when it's like oh choose this or this and you're like oh uh yeah yeah uh, but, but ultimately <laughs> that is all saint jude is but, but it's it doesn't just feel that yeah way. it's quite well camouflaged yeah 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 <laughs> and so just looping back a little bit so the um because I teach students uh, about gamification, and mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to be coming to talk to some of yes. those students. Yes, can't so, wait. Um, a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm always saying to them that the pre-engagement is as important then as the experience. So you were saying, you know, it's very much built into the narrative and built into the design. What the audience sort of encounter or see. So do you think that's a really important part of priming those behaviours you were talking about? So we have the induction. We have sort of two inductions because we had the sort of booklet downstairs mm. and then we had a, a sort of live encounter induction once we're in the space. I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, but also ahead of it today, I had a reminder email, which actually was fairly integral to me completing a part of the performance tonight. Oh, that's a, yeah. Not everyone mm. finds that, but I know what you're referring to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, I got that email. Yeah, and that had that in it. So, I remember yeah, that. Great. And so I grabbed my phone. I was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to get my phone out, but I need this thing off my phone. And yeah. that's the thing, in our experiences, you're always allowed to get your phone out. Yeah. And people don't often know, I mean, we're, especially they theaters, assume not. We're so trained, I mean, if it, you know, phone, not even on silent, but phone off, or yeah. phone on flight mode, yeah. phone hidden and away. Yeah, whereas we're like, I mean, for example, in the drop, you find yourself in a crisis, uh-huh. and we were like, you're not, if it was you in a crisis, you'd use your phone, so we're, we're trying to encourage fact, you I'm to... I'm not sure you would be able to get through the drop if no one in your group yeah. had a phone. Yeah, yeah. Because I used my phone twice yeah. tonight. Mm. In the experience, I'm gonna say any more than that. You have to come. I'm really glad I'm you really found that. I'm really sorry for all this. I've got like 60% of people who listen who are all over the globe. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm really, really sorry, but look for Swamp Town and find some of their online digital stuff. Yeah, still available. <laughs> if you can't get over to the UK, but um, yes, yeah, so I used my phone twice, mm. and again, but I was like, oh, should I or shouldn't I? But then the whole context, context as well of what I was doing, I was like, well, even if I'm not allowed. I'm kind of going to because of what I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that's a great example that came up in testing is there's a point towards the end where he says, do you have a phone? Mm-hmm. And most people were saying no, because they're like in the world of the show oh, that I can yeah, interact they, with, they I can't see a phone. Yes. So we had to change it to a very specific, do you have your mobile phone on you? <laughs> it's really, it's bizarre actually, isn't it, how the wording is mm. crucial. So um, I do one-on-one immersive binaural stuff quite a lot with, with live former as well but with binaural that we had to change just the instruction to remove their headphones at the end Mm. about 10 times to get the wording exactly right because people were just sat there with nothing happening (laughs) (laughs) even though we've been told three times that that, that they can take their headphones off they don't yeah and they just sit there and then you have to kind of like get their attention and be like can you hear anything and they're like 
no. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, well, why haven't he said anything? So yeah, so we had the same, and we found we came up with a very clear way of doing it that we tested loads of times that worked. Mm. But um, it was all down to really particular wording, and if we didn't do that. People would sit and not take them off, or people would take them off before we wanted them to take them off, and so yeah, audiences don't always, and it is wording, isn't it? Like yeah. really particular yeah. ways of phrasing things. Yeah, so much time goes into that because <laughs> you want you want people to feel like agency is the big word. You yes. want them to feel like yes. they know what they're doing, but yes. you need to do a lot of groundwork for them to actually confidently feel that. Yes, and actually, the pre-engagement that I got today was nice because it was quite short but it was really clear and really clean and mm. um, because some of the other things I've been to you get lots of pre-engagement but sometimes it is pages and pages and you're like oh crap I better read this on yeah. the train or whatever on my way there um, and it's so much information and you're like what of this am I am I going to need am I not going to need do I need to know all this before I go in and so there's sometimes you're left wondering when you get like dumped with loads and I, I know what they're doing. They're trying to build that big world. But actually, a lot of people won't even open yeah. that and look at yeah. it. You've just reminded me of quite a long time ago. Uh, as a company, we took part in someone else's immersive experience online run by a Dutch company. Mm. Do you remember that? It was a really amazing intense, yeah. experience. But they one of their pre-engagement things was they sent a graph uh, which was a kind of XY graph with fun and serious on the different axes. And it, it, it had a cross where this experience sat, which was like pretty, serious, pretty serious, yeah. serious, thoughtful, mentally challenging. I mean, I thought it, I kind of oh, thought wow. it was hilarious how they yeah. had done it, but it was true. That it it's was like, like yeah, don't come into this thinking so it's funny. Don't come be in like... and thinking it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Do you think um because you've done your work as well in, in more international contexts, haven't you? So do you think the British audience or the UK audience is different to other audiences that you've encountered? Mm, we've only really done the online stuff yeah. internationally. And I am not sure because that grew to an extent that we weren't first-hand witnessing the yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. So people are sort of engaging. With yeah, it by but themselves. I mean, like London in particular is such like a such an amazing immersive scene. Like we yes. were talking about earlier. So, yeah, I'm sure there probably is more nativeness. Yeah, that's a well, word to it. Audiences are almost becoming trained. To, yeah, because of course in the theater, mm. traditional theatre, you know the contracts of that space. You go in, you sit down. When it's dark, you shush. You don't eat a takeaway or whatever yeah. while you're in there, all that kind of stuff. Well, some people do now, apparently, don't they? There's yeah. no about it. But um, immersive is such a different proposition, isn't it? Because every single different piece will ask for something different from you. So do you find you've got quite loyal audiences that sort of come back? Yeah, I think so. know the work and come for the specific kind of ways you do things? Yes, but I think with this, they came expecting the drop and it's like completely different. Yes. Um, as I was, I was telling you earlier, we've, we've changed the tagline. Were well, they digging the out the keys? And... Yeah, well, I think, I think they're, they're expecting, you know, like gunshots and air vents and all this stuff. Oh. Um, because we called it 
an, Im- uh, an immersive psychological thriller, mm. which it is. Yes. But I think if you say immersive, people attach their own connotations to it. Yes. Like, we think this is immersive because there's a built world, you have a role in it, it feels realistic, yes. it feels like it's actually happening. But I think immersive also means to a lot of people loads of actors, things to break out of, yeah. like rooms and rooms and rooms and rooms of things stuff. Things to rifle through yeah. and to steal, apparently. Apparently that's a massive issue in big free world, free roaming shows, mm. is the theft of things. Oh, I bet, to be yeah. Place, like, mm. on the regs. Yeah. We did find in the drop we had to kind of... Um, Buy a lot of extra things. Like, oh, people screw things? down a lot yeah. more stuff. Or they, just, they, forget, <laughs> they forget they've got, like, a key in their pocket. Oh, which okay. you need to open something Sorry. yeah <laughs> so end up buying a lot of keys and a lot of key rings and fobs and oh, stuff like God. that <laughs> apparently in the big shows people like steal like big things as well it's like it's madness yeah I bet punch drunk lose a lot of masks yeah. Yeah. yes they do well they used to give it to you though at the end you used to get to keep oh. it it's only in Burnt City that they've started collecting them back in oh really because I've got I've got a couple oh, right. of the shows I've been to because they weren't... I don't know why I didn't keep mine. just took it. Yeah. Mm. Maybe they changed Maybe it, they weren't know. given away and you stole them. You, you're Maybe. the thing. Maybe you're part of this, part of this <laughs> problem, yeah. Oh, yeah you do know a lot about it. <laughs> yeah, there was no one there to take them off you. But yeah, and when, you went, when I went to sleep in the morning in New York, that was the same. You got mm. your mask oh, right. as kind of part of it and it was a slightly different colour mm. as well to the ones that we have uh, in the UK. Yeah. But I heard... City, they do collect them in at the end. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's unusual because they didn't do that. Yeah. But I went quite early on to a drowned man, so I wonder if, if they, they were doing if it. They they changed it because like, God, this is expensive. God, this <laughs> a fortune. Yeah. I did hear though that they have redeveloped it slightly because I wear glasses mm. and contacts I find really hard to wear. So um, every th- that's why I get really frustrated with VR things because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to see if yeah. going to be blurry or with the masks and punch drunk I'm like I'm going to be super uncomfortable now for four hours <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> while I've got a mask but apparently they have redesigned it so it's more comfortable mm. but I haven't been yet so I don't know <laughs> so how do you go so thinking about the work that you make for audiences rather than necessarily yes. for corporate um, because I'm assuming you have a slightly different process because I'm assuming corporates are brief yeah, yeah, Even. yeah. <laughs> you get and briefs there's and rules, you think, yeah, how do we, exactly. how do we meet that with the budget we've got? But when you're developing something like St. Jude for audiences, what, how does it go from inception to what I did tonight? What's kind of the process of that? Good question. <laughs> I think it's story-led normally. Do you agree? Um, yeah, I'd say very rough sketch would be an idea comes up that everyone thinks that's cool. Mm. And I think probably what we do first is quite a bit of mood boarding of the sort of world we'll mm-hmm. be in. And then story outline. Yeah. But I think maybe because Clem is so hev- heavily influenced by design yeah i think that imag- imagery yes, that's does true, come yeah. along quite early we did early. have that deck full of severance pictures earlier <laughs> so that kind of i guess that's the texture though isn't it of the world mm. which is about the senses in a lot of ways isn't it the yeah environment. and uh, that histor- historically it's only been like three years but in the past we've <laughs> we've always hung real history into stories 
So the thing you steal in the drop is a real thing and a lot of what you come across in Iskalander is real and real history. Um, but we didn't do that for this. But So that's normally lent, lent our stories. But with this, we were more led by the tech. Mm. Because when we when yeah, we were we shown... around on it quite a bit. Yeah. To work um, out what we could do. And we were shown a demo of it and you've heard the voice it talks to you in. We were like... I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd buy this being a real character mm-hmm. that I'm actually talking to um, over 45 minutes. But if it was a computer delivering the lines of a real person, and that was our way into being like, what if they're in a coma, mm. and it's and it's like translating their brainwaves, and all of a sudden you're like, that makes perfect sense. That's yes. like maybe a slight limitation that we were like, well, let's just hang everything on that. Yeah. Yeah. And then we thought about what it would look like, and then we had like very broad story brushstrokes but a lot of the actual intricacies of the story came much later on we had there were probably about four give or take four of us scripting it yeah um and as we said before it's all these multi-pathways there's a bit of a challenge in that because we were all building out different areas of the story we had to checking quite a bit to check we'd all we were all aligned on backstory yeah. <laughs> and what happened because it's quite easy you know if you had four people writing a linear thing it'd be very easy and quick to see where the kinks are yes. and iron them out yeah but in this it's like it's like looking through a really big web and I remember at one point I think I had called the grandma something different to what Zoe had called mm. the grandma in another thread and was like oh hold on oh, no. yeah that's stupid let's rewind there's quite a few things like that that do you just have a, like a system or a program for sort of mapping out all of those different bits of text um well the, the, <laughs> or is that a secret the, the software kind of does that oh, to, to an extent oh, yeah, for yeah. us but like i mean we're big fans of miro Mm. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. which is like an online post-it note yes, thing yeah. um, so I'm that Miro. that often helps but the charisma is essentially Miro uh, right that's okay. what it looks like behind the scenes it's oh, text boxes so linked with yeah. so that, that kind of helps you pan it out and you can have comment boxes so you could be like this sequence uh-huh. is starting here I think this could be fun can uh, someone else do it for me <laughs> okay, okay. we found it really useful when it came to editing to print mm. those out on really big bits of paper mm-hmm. and then start slashing through them with felt tips and stuff. Yeah. There's um, probably four more shows worth of stuff that we wrote and then got rid of. Oh, wow. Yeah. We, we did some pretty this brutal This one has edits. the potential, though, to be... to, to have repeat mm-hmm. and to come back and for it to be bigger and slightly different. Yeah. Yeah, you could spend years on it. Yeah, right. Because you feels could, like yeah, very much like that. You could keep going and keep going and keep going, which and I guess was another challenge. Is like, how far can we like realistically take this while still f- finishing it <laughs> on time? <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. How do you manage that? There's always, always, isn't there some elasticity? Because some people take longer to do things than other people, and of course, the AI is driving, sort of driving you through it. Yes. but still. Mm. There's there's space for people. I I felt like other people were leaving well ahead of me, so mm. I was like, oh gosh, am I doing something wrong here? Well, some yeah. some people do a different ending to what you did, which uh-huh. I think finishes slightly quicker. Um, it's actually a another challenge that we have because we use escape room mechanics mm-hmm. essentially and immersive theatre labelling. Mm-hmm. So 
when people buy a ticket, we're like, right, they'll probably be done in 50 minutes. And we bank on that. Yes. And in an escape room at 50 minutes, the guy comes through the door. He's like, oh, bad luck, guys. Hope you had a great time. Yeah, off you go. Off you go. You're lost. But we can't really do that. So no. if people start going over the time limit, there is no real and also, action plan. And also, you haven't done better the quicker you've done yes. it. No, yeah. Yes. No, no, of course. If, if of anything, course. you've spent more time. Yeah exploring which is great and what we want you know and we and we sell the idea that you'll go through this story and then yes that, that becomes difficult when someone's taken i mean like some people have taken so long to get through it and and sometimes that's because they've come and english isn't their first language so they're like studiously google translating stuff oh. which takes a long time yes. but we have in general been able to when it's not sold out figure out fudges, like leave, take their ball out of the pot so they can stay on their desk but, while the new group comes yeah. in. Yeah, and because it's, because it's a work environment, yeah. that feels exactly, like yeah. Okay. yeah. And we yeah. are, we're kind of, again, helped by that because we say it's an hour-long volunteering session. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Or yeah. 50 minutes. I can't remember what we actually <laughs> yeah. say, but we do. It was 50, 50, minutes, it was 50 minutes today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to keep people on their toes. And it's nice to have that live, even though it's one live performer, mm. That makes all the difference yeah. to the experience. It even still creeps me out. Like, I did it tonight for, like, the hundredth time. Yeah. And there's still points where you'll list... I mean, I don't want to give away any spoilers. Probably made me jump. Yeah. <laughs> where he walks past at just the perfect time yeah. for what you're listening to. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it really does it really does add something. Yeah, to get my attention, to get my things. Mm. <laughs> which, I'm not going to say. People are listening like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah. So, uh, because I was so engrossed in what I was doing. And they really properly made me jump. I was like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I better be careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I'm doing. It's, yeah, he, he adds a, a, so much to it just, just yes. through being there. Just that one. Yeah. And that opening, I think it was so important for setting the tone mm. of kind of... And there's so much latent in the world like there's bits of the set that we don't engage with yeah. and that we don't get to which is really intriguing and we have had a couple of people set off the fire alarm <laughs> really <laughs> by accident I yeah think. they like to go out the fire exit because like we oh there's there's a there's a point where it's gonna, it's gonna get some stuff. of that's our responsibility yeah. things are referenced and yes people then go and test those boundaries and we hadn't really thought they'd do that oh yeah I was like, I better not leave my booth. Otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> you see some amazing inventions from, from people, though. Mm. Um, there's actually there's actually a suggestion of how you solve a problem written into the script now, but based off what someone did oh, in an actual wow. show. And we were like, that is such a good idea that they thought of that. We should put that in as an option for people. Oh. Mm. I love that as well. I love that the the writing and the construction of the show is responsive in that way. Yeah. And do you adjust then, so once you've finished testing and you've got people coming through, is that still a movable entity? So are you still adding? Yeah, we're still changing event? stuff at the moment. Okay. Yeah, when problems So it's completely up. responsive then to the people. And how responsive has it been in terms of the site that you're in? Because this is an incredible building that we're in, and we're right next to St. James's Park mm. Station. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's really, really extraordinary. So in a huge amount of space as well. So has there been sort of in the design, did you design the show before you had the space? I guess is what I'm asking, or did you have the space while designing the show? Um, I think we started designing before we had the space, mm -hmm. but we knew, we knew it'd be a relatively well, no, actually, I remember what it was. We thought 
this could work anywhere. This could, because of like the nature of what St. Jude is yes. and the fact that the the desk and the tech is so like uh, unique, mm-hmm. it, it kind of works anywhere. And we thought we can either get an office like we have, or yeah. it could pop up in a church hall and it could be, you know, St. Jude doing community well, projects. They're lovely because they're not, they're not plastic. Mm. So there's, I don't know, there's something really nice about the juxtaposition yeah. of that against Well, that's the nice because they were extremely heavy and it was very, <laughs> very <laughs> difficult to get them all up they here. they were, but there's, there's <laughs> something really lovely about those yeah. in that more sort of sterile mm. space. It gives it more character, yeah. I yeah. thought. I thought it was a nice choice. Yes, and the, the colour kind of works with like the orange screens and the, yes. the dim lighting. Yeah. Yeah, so it all comes together. But no, we thought what was cool about it was that it could it could exist anywhere. We thought yes. if we don't find yeah. a site, we can do it in a village hall. Yeah. Because feasibly, this organisation could be touring the country and they mm-hmm. could be like, we're doing an intake in the village hall. I would, I would highly, <clears throat> highly push for that. I think that would be extraordinary mm. to take that out into if it's portable in the way that a lot, because a lot of shows aren't portable. And so I think touring is a real issue in our field, actually. Yeah. Um, it's hard to move things around. Yeah. But this does feel like you could have yeah. multiple clinics. We are, we are looking into touring it. <clears throat> but as ever, it's a, it's a, does it make any financial sense? Financial sense to Discussion, do that. yeah. So how many people would you see on a kind of night come through? Uh, it's 20 per seating mm-hmm. and I think there's between three or four a night depending on what night the week okay. it is yeah oh, so that's that's pretty pretty good numbers for a yeah show. it's pretty good numbers it's it's funny when you think about it in different contexts it's like if you think about the fringe it's a sold out small venue probably yes. yeah um which is good but you know, it's not six hundred people a night going yeah, to exactly. yeah. um, the Burn City. Well, it's probably more, isn't it, than than that? Over a thousand. Yeah. Although interestingly, um, from what I understand, secret cinema don't actually always make money, despite having thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. It's a the door. It's a weird industry. It's yeah. Madness, when you look at the numbers, yeah, none of it really makes any sense. No, it doesn't yeah. make any sense <laughs> at all. And all the research I'm doing is is showing very clearly mm. that. I think there does need to be some infrastructure start to be built and some support yeah. start to be built in. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you found it when you were just directing, but... Mm, well, the economics of theatre don't really make sense. Yeah, <laughs> they, don't, they don't really work. Uh, it's yeah. love, isn't it? And theatre seems to be built on people just giving because they think it's a worthwhile thing to do Yeah. in yeah. terms of their work and their labour and their love. Yeah. To something, and this very much, I think our sector is very much built on a lot of that of people just putting so much into it, mm. um, which is a shame. I think we could, we could be better supported from government, for example, and arts council, and all of yeah. those kinds of things. It is really <laughs> difficult. I remember when I was before I was doing this, when I was freelancing barely, um, and <laughs> doing kill the bee shows. It was just really annoying. You couldn't go and see anything because you couldn't afford it. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, it's People so hard really to make money. Like, oh, so hard to get funding. It's like, no. Yeah. No, what happened? Yeah. You can't afford to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God, I think the most, the biggest budget I've had, I mean, I make one-on-one tiny things, so, but I think the biggest budget I've ever had is about 300 quid, so, mm. yeah. to make a show. Yeah. The first Kill the Bee show we did was, I can't remember what it was. It wasn't very much. But we obviously didn't take any of it. We paid like an absolutely ridiculously low fee 
to the people who like designed it and did the costumes yeah. and did the lights and we were like well no we want to make this so we'll obviously do it for free yeah and i don't yeah i don't know how many free hours we put into Kill the Beats, but i think probably most it? of most of them yeah. yeah and so venues has become a real sticky point um early on in the sort of first wave of uh immersive experience everyone was falling over themselves to let you in spaces but that seems to have really shifted mm-hmm. post-pandemic and every company I talked to are saying, we can't get bloody space, not affordable space, because landlords seem to see it as a cash cow and seem yeah. to think it makes money in ways that it doesn't probably. <laughs> yeah. And so how, how have you found, like, you know, securing this space, for example? This was a stroke of luck um, because our contact, a, a guy we met through doing the drop works for this company who own this building and he happens to be like just a massive massive fan of immersive theater oh, wow. um and <clears throat> he clued us up that he had this place and could and could you know manufacture yeah, a deal yeah. for us but wow. otherwise we've had really really very little luck yes. like the, the drop mm. the drop was in a betting shop um wow. but yeah again that got that we had to close that because they wanted to turn it into i think it's a nisa local now um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really difficult, and it's not cheap. It's really really expensive, mm-hmm. and well, people don't realize today they're like, oh, you can do it anywhere, and it's like, well, you, yeah, but you also still have to have basic health and safety. Yeah, like fire, and it's got to be relatively reachable by yes. public transport for people yeah, to come to. Exactly. So yeah. that is challenging. Mm. So how long are you have you got in here? The run's got I think another four weeks. We were. It's been extended actually, hasn't yes, it? It was yeah. finishing in March, yeah. wasn't it? And it's now been extended into April. Yes, and we opened in January. Yeah. Yeah. So it's awesome. three months. Yeah. And is there leeway for it to potentially continue, do you think? Or can you not say Um that? I'm not sure on the legal position of any of that. Um, <laughs> I think there might be, yeah. But I don't want to say anything on the record. No, absolutely. So I get anyone in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so um how much does and again you don't have to disclose exactly how mm. but again thinking about new makers because a lot of new makers are listening or sort of people just graduating and they're like how much does it cost you know to do a show like this mm. sort of ballparkish what did this cost you to get up and running um not sure because i don't know the number that facts in all our time but like over a hundred thousand Wow. Yeah, probably. That's mad. Yeah. Because there's no way you're going to make that back, I guess, from ticket sales. Um, if it runs for long enough, if maybe. It ran, yeah. yeah. The thing, yeah. isn't it, is time. Because yeah. I'm assuming installing is the expensive yes. part, developing and installing. Yeah, but it's also our time, right? Like the, yeah, the company paying us, because like me and Sadie were on it pretty relentlessly for the best part of three months, mm-hmm. as was Leo building everything, as yeah. was like the production team putting it all together. It's so crisp and slick. Yeah, I've got to say, thanks. The, set, the set is yeah. beautiful yeah. and just really precise mm. and bang on. Yeah, we're very, very pleased with so it. So it's really nice. But yeah, these things cost an absolute fortune. Um, and, but it all, I don't know, it all depends on what you want to do. do you think it's, is it the time or the tech that's cost on this one or the building has been the biggest kind of... All, all of it, all I would it. say, yeah. I wouldn't say there's one factor that's, you know, particularly mm-hmm. made it more expensive than anything else. The drop also costs a lot of money, um, but it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's rubbish. 
it's hard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really and hard. And so, especially with work like this, because like you said, you've got to do extensive testing, extensive developing, sometimes developing tech, sometimes build doing big builds as well. So you're often expending a lot before you ever get anyone mm. step through the door. Yeah. With a ticket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so is it the corporate work that enables kind of that initial outlay before you start getting... Yeah, there was a golden age in, in lockdown when Esclando was kind of the main breadwinner for the company. Yeah. Um, but that finished. Which is a good thing, yeah. but also a sad thing. But I'm um, assuming but that could could continue... It could, but... appetite... Yeah, but appetite went pretty, pretty swiftly once people were allowed outside. Which I think actually I think makes sense, and we saw coming. So now, um, yeah, we've been very good at that actually as a company of really, like you said, you got that up and running within lockdown super fast. Mm. So you were right at the top of yeah, yeah, the top of everyone else kind of scrabbling around, going, oh, yeah, should we, shouldn't we, <laughs> should we, do yeah. something? should we not do something? And then to quite some people took quite a long time to get stuff out, but you were straight in there on it, yeah. And again, when we've come back to sort of being able to get into buildings and actually be with people like we can be, again, we're sort of straight in that space again. So I think you've been really good at sort of preempting potentially audience behaviours or audience appetites, certainly. Yeah. How, how do you think you've managed to do that? That's a really hard question. I'm sorry. I don't know. Luck? Luck. Do you think <laughs> Probably, it's yeah. Luck? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, if you look at Islander. There was no formula for that to be based on, really. No. I think a part of it is this undiscovered uh, marriage, which is becoming more discovered, between theatre and gaming. Mm. Like, Isklander is kind of a theatricalised game. Yeah. And I think a lot of theatre people really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the game mechanics that, that brought it to life. Yes. So I think it's that, but I don't know. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. We're very, we're definitely very motivated by like, if it sounds like something yeah. we... Coolness. Cool. ...want to yeah, do. Yeah. 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 And where did the name Swamp Motel come from? I was really into The name you. Swamp Motel came from... Well, when me and Clem started the company, we liked the name Swamp Thing, but probably realised couldn't have that. Yeah, yeah. So then we came up with Swamp Motel and what we quite liked about it was we were pitching for corporate work against actual companies who had done some before mm-hmm. rather than us who had like... I probably know a few. Yeah, we were like, yeah. we've got a four-star review in three weeks. <laughs> do, do you want to hire us to do your corporate event? Um, and we thought, well, we're saying we're immersive, so let's maybe build this sense of mystery around the brand and like exploring mm-hmm. that can be... The immersive part. They feel quite connected as well. Swamp Motel and Kill the Beast feels. Yeah, we like grim things. That sort of fifties. Yeah. B movie horror. Yeah. Sort of vibe. That's that's what I read from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. (laughs) I was just going to say a minute ago, Ari, the young makers who might be listening to this, to just like shamelessly realise that their skills are useful in the corporate world. Yeah. Which I didn't learn. I was twenty-five years old and I learned what a copywriter was. And I was so angry. Yeah. It's a writer that gets paid money. <laughs> As opposed to a playwright, which is a writer who doesn't get, who paid, never gets any paid any money. Yeah. Ever. And it's and it's like the kind of the same skill set and you can do yes. both. And I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend looking into it because yes. it's skills you have 
I keep saying this to my students. People will pay for, yeah. Because there's this, we were in such a hostile political environment for the arts. Mm. And there's this, I mean, bullshit notion that we're not valuable and mm. that we don't have useful skills when that is not true. And that's what I keep saying to them. I'm like, the experience economy and what's yeah. going to become the transformation economy, you have as theatre makers and performance makers all of the skills that yeah. are required to plug into that in so many ways outside of arts as well. Mm, that world wants creativity and it wants stories and it yes. wants dynamic people. Everyone which... wants to discover something through story because yeah. it's the most powerful and affective way to achieve an end, whatever that end might be. Yeah. And that's that's what theatre folk do and film folk and game folk. We yeah. tell stories we let people into stories mm. and so that's at the heart of everything we do I yeah think. yeah and so yeah it's just recognizing and their, their little minds are so blown my mm. students because they're like ah oh, that's a job I'm like, yeah. yeah and you feel I think yeah. I think you feel quite a pressure when you graduate from yes. like an arts thing to be like well I've got to go and do that now I've got my theatre company I've and spent I all this money, money. <laughs> yeah I've got a BA in theatre studies I've got to actually like prove this was worthwhile um, but it, yeah, it's useful. It's useful in many, many ways. And you know, like we do, working corporately allows you to do other mm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, pays your bills, which is extremely useful. And all brands are starting to shift into this space mm. now. I yeah. Think. And lots of big IPs as well are yeah. starting to move into this space. And actually, theatre people are the ones who have yeah have the skills for that for sure. Hundred percent. Um, so I just have, I'm going to try and bring it to a close because mm-hmm. um, everyone must be getting a bit tired now. Um, so the one thing I ask everyone is the word immersive. Yeah. It's kind of like, how do you feel about it? And where do you position yourselves in relation to it, do you think? Do you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> Poison chalice. Yes. Um, what do I think of it? I mean very overused word i'm not sure it means one thing anymore um but it it's definitely got to have this sense of you are inside a world that's been created and you can you can move through it with some independence Mm -hmm. i think is Mm -hmm. my take on it yeah but that's probably leaving it quite vague I think it's like become like a necessary evil. I, I kind of hate it. Like ev- everything Everyone is immersive it, now, yeah. but it's the word that does annoyingly is the most widely understood for what we're doing. So you yeah. kind of have to use it. We could try and be clever now. and say something else, but well, no then one all would understand. Won't have a clue. Yeah, and that's what most people said to me is that they hate it because it's a diffuse term that has become meaningless because mm. it's applied to everything. And I say this often from like cars to colonoscopies. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> It's insane what's yeah. called immersive. But audiences recognise it in one way or another. Yeah. And so it's that kind of has it's kind of like a, a marketing tool to reach in a shorthand for something that you like you said is that audiences vaguely recognise as something they can get inside of. Yeah. Mm. We're we're trying to call our we're trying to call our stuff more like playable theatre. Yeah. Which is a phrase we like. Yes. But, like you know, no one else has heard it. So <laughs> at the moment, it's only so useful. It's Yeah. And I don't know how these things get proliferated because I was doing my PhD. Uh, I started in 2006 
and Josephine Macon published her book Immersive Theatre and mm. she was the first to call it that but I had used all this other terminology to talk about co-creation co-collaboration with audience because I call it very much from an audience perspective um, and actually companies keep saying to me well my work isn't immersive but I call it I market it in that way because it reaches the right audiences yeah. and brings the right people in actually my work is action theatre or it's playable theatre mm. or it's gamified or it's interactive and so there's all these different kind of terms and I think we're still and hopefully some of the research that we've been doing with IEN is going to start to try to produce some resource that we can start to quantify what immersive is what interactive might be mm. how they might interact because there's always this assumption isn't there, that if it's immersive it's interactive well that's not always the case sometimes it's immersive and not interactive yeah. sometimes it's interactive but always immersive and so yeah. I don't think we quite have the time I, mean, I can still call things shows and they're not shows because they don't show you yeah yeah and so I think we and even audience audience I think now is a is a really troubling because are they yeah. just audience? Or are they we, players? Are we players? Yeah. Are we guests? Yeah. Are we participants? Mm. What are we? And I think we're really struggling, I think, as a sector to sort of fall. But like you said, it's different for everyone as well. Because we use a lot of the same terminology. But because we're interdisciplinary, people from game might say something and they mean something slightly different to what someone from theatre might mean when they use those terms. And yeah. So, it's trying to find a shared language because we do collaborate across all those disciplines because that's how the work's made. Like we said, there's film, theatre, game, all comes to play, even a bit of therapy. and Yeah. Well, it's like you, you were <laughs> talking about our, pre- our <coughs> previews earlier and the language around that. And we were having a conversation that we should maybe call them beta testing, yeah. which is a gaming term, but it's much, that's much what more I accurate. Call them, I call them beta tests, yeah, yeah, to what we're doing. It's like, have a go. What do you think? Okay, we'll change it. Yeah. It's not, it's well, not. Well, also because you do, it's scientific. You put yeah. them through it, you get their feedback, you collect the feedback of them usually going through it as well if, if you've got the tech to be able to do that. Mm. And all of that then in, evolves the show, which is actually a really scientific model of doing yeah. things. Is hypotheses so with the show design putting someone through it testing it and then adjusting it accordingly and so actually if anyone from government is listening it's quite a scientific process yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we use a lot of human behavior and understanding human behavior even if we don't come at it from that medical perspective i think we as makers who engage people and human beings start to build get a real sensibility for how people do it all, like we're talking, we've always got those outlayers who do <laughs> things that you're just like, I never have dreamt yeah. of someone responding in that way to this. But the majority of folk will usually respond to things, and you get a sensibility, don't you, of, of, of how people might respond or react in certain yeah. situations in a kind of normative way. Mm. And then, of course, you've always got the, the things <laughs> that you haven't remotely. And that's a toolkit you build in doing isn't yeah. it you come to have a sense of it exactly what's interesting <laughs> is though it never seems to help the next project because no, it's, because because it's, it's different, so different and it's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you have a sense of how they'll behave in that world yeah. in that moment to those things and then once you have a really good idea of that you do something to it yeah, yeah. <laughs> I recognise the agony of having to throw everything in the bin in this from the drop but there was no way doing it in the drop could have prepared us yeah, for doing for it doing in this, this. yeah <laughs> And the other thing, um, the last thing I was going to ask you about is as an academic, part of, I think part of my remit is 
to be a cultural custodian in some ways and Mm -hmm. to make sure that important or significant things are captured, documented, talked about. The secrecy and elusivity that sits at the heart of what we do Mm. makes that really difficult. And so do you... Do you capture your process? Do you capture anyone kind of going through? Or once it's gone, is it kind of, um, does it sort of disappear? Obviously the digital well, stuff remains. Yes, the digital stuff is there. Don't know. There's lots of cameras everywhere. Yeah. Whether they're recording or not, I can't remember. I was going to say, I mean, we, we do kind of keep case study videos. Yeah. Oh, this St. Jude is quite a hard one to capture because it's, it's so it's personal. Personal, yeah. Mm. This, is, this is exactly the problem. So you could probably... Re- kind of record an yeah. audio of I think Leo said if we were to do, it, to do it again he'd have a camera per desk mm. and oh, so you'd yeah. be able to film people more closely yeah but no not for any archival purposes do we do that we do it more for just like show running but we do then end up we'd like I think a lot of the, there's CCTV in the highlight reels isn't there yeah. from the drop oh, is that? so that must get taped yeah and I, I mean we've got we, we have written scripts that yeah. Exists somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's somewhere <laughs> on the computer. It's so challenging because most other areas of art practice have archives or a library somewhere or somewhere that sort of is capturing mm. things. You need the course, V&A to yeah. Yeah, open a so the V&A or somebody section. like that to start doing it. But it takes, and this is what I'm always saying, it takes time and money because that's additional money. Because in reality, you need someone embedded in the process to be able to be capturing those things and thinking because while you're making you can't be thinking about how do I capture this for prosperity because mm. it just doesn't work like yeah. that and so you can't do all of those things but I feel I'm concerned that in 20 years there'll be no record mm. of all of this work and all of that knowledge and all of that yeah. practice will be lost maybe we Although, should write a book silver lining yeah People in our experiences get their phones out a lot. Yeah. So maybe there's some community yeah. <laughs> yeah, iPhone footage be. we can mm. call on someday. Yeah, some little bits and bobs. But again, it's pulling those together, gathering all of that, and maybe historians will do it in the future. I yeah, don't know. yeah. <laughs> they can do it. <laughs> we'll let them We're do busy it. enough. But this is the thing, isn't it? The, it's about experience, and this experience disappears as it happens. Mm. But I'm also keen that key companies get that because it's also about visibility and credibility and mm. all of, raising all of those things yeah. also requires people to have access to it. And at the moment, like you said, getting into the sector is very much about who you know and being involved. And actually, in a lot of ways, being audience is, is the same. You've got to kind of know where to find it because it's not in the sites where you'd usually find culture. Mm. And so... Moving forward, what would be, this is a very last question, what would be your blue sky kind of like ideal in 10 years time? Where do you see kind of Swamp Motel? Mm, interesting. We've been talking about this a lot <laughs> for a workshop we had to do. Um, I, why can't I remember what we, agree, what we agreed? <laughs> I think, oh yeah, we said in 10 years time, we wanted there to be an announcement that we'd signed a deal with Odeon to turn all their now disused cinemas into immersive spaces all over the UK. Amazing. That was the yeah, that was the idea. Or like Debenhams or something. Yeah. Massive Debenhams. Yeah, to do something just like big and widespread. That would be very cool. Yeah. 
Maybe it'll be St. Jude Clinics. Maybe it will. Maybe it will, yeah. Or a multiple... My vision, my hope, is that we start to have immersive venues. Like someone starts to, I don't know, buy old Debenhams, buy old Odeons, Mm. and start to create fixed spaces that people can... Like, you know that building Mm. hosts immersive work, yeah, and people can go there. And then audiences will start to become... That feels like that will happen. I do. Yeah. there's a few people who have tried a few things and it hasn't quite worked, mm. and, but it's in such its infancy that, so that my hopes kind of align a bit with yours in that respect. Yeah. I want something widespread and something a bit more concrete so that grassroots audiences can start to be built and developed. Yeah. Because I think while it disappears, it's very cult and very cool, but at the moment, I, and I think this does have appeal way beyond those traditional audiences. Yeah. And so I just think, yeah, how do we reach them? And maybe it's high streets yeah. that are currently empty anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure yeah, there's a lot of empty buildings, yeah. So what is the best way for people to keep up with what you are doing? Um, you can follow us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Sign up to the mailing list. Sign up to the mailing list. Yep. Um, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I was going to say, link, I see loads of stuff on LinkedIn. Yeah, if you're a business, did com- I see business contact. Did I see Yes, we did win two awards last night. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, that's awkward, that's come up. <laughs> <laughs> I saw yeah. it literally on the trainers. Yeah, train up, so I was that like, was for, um, very exciting. That was for a launch event we did for the Amazon TV show, The Boys. Yes. Prime video TV show, not Amazon. Prime video. <laughs> The boys. I love the boys. The boys is awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. It was really good. Lots of blood and swearing, <laughs> which we don't always get to do. No, and uh, milk, I'm assuming, potentially. There wasn't, no, because I don't think the milk's come into the TV show yet. Are you, refer, are you a comics fan? No. Milk. Oh, Homelander milk. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a different, there's a different uh, milk, I mean, mother's milk in the comic. My partner is a mm. comic. He is. He relies on milk, much more evidently than he does on the TV show. His powers yeah, the yeah. Exciting. Mm. And also, St Jude is running here, and we're yeah. at hundred Petty Petty France. Petty France. Yes, it's just above St James's Park Tube Station, also yeah. close to Victoria. Super easy, actually. Literally, come out the door of the station and mm-hmm. turn left, and it's right it's there. It's right there. It's super easy to find. Yeah. Um. So, it's running till. The twenty second of April. I'm pretty. Yeah. I'm pretty, pretty confident. I think that's a firm. But I definitely think, for a couple more weeks. So yeah, I'm intending to get this out fairly swiftly. So yeah, you've yes. got, get got a few more pods. Down. Three weeks. Yeah. to catch it. To catch get it. Get a move on. And then who knows? That's the yes. thing. Who and knows? We'll and Could we'll go see. on for longer, but if you don't come in the next couple of weeks, you might miss it. Might miss out forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that would be sad. That and would be, be sad. Because really we spent ages on it. <laughs> and it's very cool. Yeah, it's thanks. It's really slick and nice. Mm. I really enjoyed it. Good. Well, thank you ever so much for taking the thank time. Thank you. I know you must be extraordinarily busy to uh, to talk to me. And um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. It's been really excellent to get 
back out into spaces where people make their work and actually chat there because as you can probably tell it has a very different feeling i mean don't get me wrong zoom has really enabled the possibility of having conversations with people beyond where i can get too easily to travel so that is really wonderful but there is something really nice about being in the places and the spaces where people make their work. So hopefully I can bring you some more content um, where I talk to people under those conditions. I have got lots of bits and bobs lined up and different people to talk to. Uh, again, I don't want to make promises though, because it can be a little bit difficult to get things out regularly at the moment, just because of all of the um, the research things that I have going on and the work that I'm doing with the IEN as well. Uh, speaking of IEN, the Immersive Experience Network, I really hope that you've been enjoying the huddle content that I've been bringing out. And there's um, another one that I'm going to release very shortly for you as well, which is the panel discussion. And also, like I said, I've got lots of other exciting conversations lined up. Um, it's just about coordinating diaries, which uh, can be a little bit challenging at the moment. So if you don't want to miss anything, then you need to subscribe so that you know and you're alerted when new content is there, because I can't guarantee how regularly that will come out to you. But um, just know there is lots of exciting things in the pipeline, I promise. <laughs> OK, so as usual, I really would love to hear from you if you listen. Uh, it's always good to hear where you're listening from, uh, what you're doing when you listen, why you listen, or just to reach out and say hi, really. And um, you can find me um, pretty much with a quick Google search. You can find my work email or you can find me on LinkedIn. In fact, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do. I'm always very welcome to that. Um, I really like making lots of different connections. But um, anyway, until the next time, bye.